You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, a place where you can listen, learn, and profit. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Hala Taha, and on Young and Profiting Podcast, we investigate a new topic each week and interview some of the brightest minds in the world. My goal is to turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your everyday life, no matter your age, profession, or industry. There's no fluff on this podcast, and that's on purpose. I'm here to uncover value from my guests by doing the proper research and asking the right questions. If you're new to the show, we've chatted with the likes of ex-FBI agents, real estate moguls, self-made billionaires, CEOs, and best-selling authors. Our subject matter ranges from enhancing productivity, how to gain influence, the art of entrepreneurship, and more. If you're smart and like to continually improve yourself, hit the subscribe button because you'll love it here at Young and Profiting Podcast. Today on Yap, we're chatting with Fred Reichheld, the creator of the uber-popular open-source market research metric, Net Promoter Score, or NPS, which helps companies gauge customer loyalty. Fred is one of the world's foremost experts on customer satisfaction, so much so that he was named by The Economist as the high priest of customer loyalty. Fred is also the best-selling author of four business books, and he's a fellow at Bain & Company and founder of Bain's Loyalty Practice. Fred frequently speaks at major business forums, and his work on loyalty and customer service has been covered in Harvard Business Review, The Wall Street Journal, and The New York Times, to name a few. In this episode, Fred talks about his entrepreneurship at Bain & Company over the past 20-plus years, and we'll get the origin story of his widely used net promoter score. We'll discuss the value of customer referrals and customer-based accounting. Fred shares the power of the golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated, And finally, we'll understand why it's crucial to love your customers and prioritize them over everything and everyone else. If you want to learn how to level up your customer satisfaction with one of the biggest marketing legends in the game, keep on listening to my conversation with Fred Reichheld. Hey, Fred, welcome to Young and Profiting Podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. I am excited for this conversation. Thanks for joining me. And to quickly introduce you to my listeners, you are the world's leading expert on customer loyalty, and you're the creator of the iconic net promoter system, which was used by companies worldwide to increase their customer retention rate. In fact, The Economist named you the high priest of customer loyalty, and you are a household name for marketers like me. You have had an incredible and long career at Bain & Company, and you are the best-selling author of a handful of books, including your most recent book, Winning on Purpose, which covers how businesses can enrich the lives of their customers. So before we get into customer loyalty and what it means to love your customer, I would love to back up. And I feel like a good place to start is right after college. From my understanding, you've been working at your job, Bain & Company, since you graduated in 1977. It's not often that somebody stays at the same company throughout their whole career these days. So granted, you are halftime now, but you still rep that organization. And to me, it seems like you really took a different approach. You were an entrepreneur within the organization. You launched iconic products like NPS. You've been speaking, writing books, and I'm sure that kept things interesting for you. So my first question is, why did you stay so long at Bain & Company? How have you kept it spicy all this time? And why did you decide to stay there your entire career? Great question. And one I ask myself regularly, I think the primary reason I've stayed at Bain all these years is it's assembled a group of really special people with, uh, with values that I admire. The whole firm was um, committed to this idea that our primary purpose is to help our clients succeed, to to make our customers' lives better, solve their problems. And that turns out to be a a profitable strategy. It's it's commercially successful, but it's more important. I think it's a life-enriching mission that when you serve others and get recognized and rewarded when you help other people succeed, that actually inspires energy. So it, you know, it's been financially great for me, but at this point in my life, we have more money than we'll ever be able to spend. It's a um, energy and focus and what inspires you to keep working hard. And it's that same idea that Bain is a platform that helps its partners do things that make them, their families, and their communities proud. Yeah. And like I was telling you offline, a lot of people think the only way to be massively successful is to be an entrepreneur. But that's simply not the case. So I'd love for you to shed light on that a bit. Well, I think people who are most innovative 
are the ones who are going to be the most successful. And there are certainly lots of examples of building your own firm, but there's plenty of examples of working within firms or within communities, whether it's universities or think tanks. You have a broad range. However, you need the leverage of an organization to really have an impact in the world. And the the key is to make sure that you choose wisely, an organization that fits your values and is full of people who aspire to similar life goals that's, that are worthy of your loyalty. And then make sure you you help them succeed. It's not so much about you succeeding. You've got to play a big role in helping that organization succeed and fulfill its mission. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So let's talk about the origin story behind Net Promoter Score. Talk to us about the genesis of this idea and where you got it from. Well, I was an economics major, and the thing that caught my eye early in my career were organizations, both small and large, that were outperforming any understanding of business strategy or financial accounting that, that I learned in business school. And we saw the, uh, this common thread was that they were treating their, they treated people right. They earned the loyalty of their customers and employees. And the right kind of loyalty, this loyalty that is, it's self-sacrifice. It, it's committing yourself to the success of an organization because of the mission and the principles it lives by, but it wasn't measured. And so initially I looked at an incredible leverage of retention rates of people that kept their customers a little bit longer, doubled, tripled, quadrupled their profits. And no one knew that, but over the years it's transitioned. It's, I think the economics is the reward is one of the benefits, but the real root cause are organizations that are committed to making their customers' lives better. Because it's more than a commercial mission. It's, it's a, everyone talks about making the world a better place. I'd say, let's get serious about making the world a better place and start with the customers, the people whose responsibility you have to serve and solve problems for. Yeah. And I'd love to stick on that a bit. Why do you think the greatest companies are the ones that enrich their customers' lives? Well, in my youth, I just saw their financial results were extraordinary. I think what makes them truly extraordinary and the reason their financials are extraordinary is they're committed to a purpose that's worthy of loyalty, this purpose of enriching lives, this net promoter score that you mentioned that I invented 20 years ago. As I was toying with names for it, I was thinking, well, it's really net lives enriched because every time you touch a person's life, whether you're an individual, a team, or a company, you're either going to enrich that life or diminish it. And we need to keep track of that instead of just talk about it as an airy-fairy mm. idea. And so this idea of how likely you'd recommend us to a friend as the best way to know if you enriched a life. I mean, the logic is pretty clear. When you have your life enriched as a customer and you want to share that with a friend or a loved one, that referral is an act of love. It means you want to enrich the life that the person you know, you care about. And so it's a signal that an organization has indeed enriched a life. So, you know, net lives enriched just seemed a little too soft and theoretical, I suppose, philosophical, and that promoter had a business ring. Promoters are customers who go out and they refer their friends, they buy more from you, they, they're your assets. And so net promoter score became the name. I suppose in some settings, I wish I'd left it at net lives enriched. No, I think you made a good choice, honestly, because it's like you said, it has a little business ring to it. Net lives enriched sounds a little bit fluffy. So it turns out you actually hated surveys before you started MPS and you ended up launching a survey. But from my understanding, it just has two questions or at least started with two questions. You alluded to one of them. What were the two questions and and why did you choose those? I'm so sick of surveys and these long market research things that, oh, we'll just take a minute of your time and 80 questions later. If I had to have a survey at all, because I do think surveys take people's time, it's, it's friction. So I wanted one question. And the question that was the best predictor of loyalty behaviors turned out to be likelihood to recommend. How likely would you recommend us to a friend? So zero through 10, we asked that question. That score lets you know if you've created a promoter or enriched a life or a detractor or diminished a life. Then we have an open text verbatim follow-up to tell us why. In the customer's own words, they can explain why you enrich the life or how you diminish their life. And people have to take the time to read that. Don't get artificial intelligence and delegate it to the statistics department or some computer. Read it. And the people who read it should feel the emotion of an enriched life or a diminished life. And, they, and good people care about that. Then my daughter convinced me, 
my daughter Jenny said, Dad, we're using three questions, not not two. And I've seen great question inflation has been a real issue. They 12 becomes 20 becomes 100. That oh, Jenny, you can't do this to me. But she convinced <laughs> me she had a question that deserves to be part of the canon. So it, she said, our, our promoters, they tell us why they love us in that verbatim text. But if we ask them, is there anything else we could have done to make your experience better? They tell you good ideas that uh, can make you, can innovate and make you even stronger. And remember, your promoters, they're your biggest fans. They want you to succeed. You're a part of their personal brand because when you refer someone, you're sharing your personal identity, your, your reputation with the brand. It's a big deal. And those people care about you and they want you to succeed. So give them an option to give you their best ideas. But don't mm-hmm. go past three. There's just no way that customers should be answering five or 10 questions. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like you lose people at that point. So I know you were inspired by Andy Taylor, who was the founder of Enterprise Rent-A-Car. So I'd love to hear that story. What did you find so innovative and interesting when you, were, when you had a conversation with him? Yeah, Andy, he's been a supporter over the years and taught me a lot. When I first met him, it was in for my first book, I was trying to explain how his organization had grown from a tiny little leasing business in St. Louis, Missouri, into the largest car rental company on earth as a private company. You know, talk about entrepreneurial success. You never had to go to Wall Street and get funny money and play that game. And he said, well, Fred, th- there's no magic. And he and I are both from the Midwest. And he's always speaking in that real plain language of you got to treat your customers so they come back for more and bring their friends. And that simple idea, first of all, he inspired the net promoter score because he had a two-question survey he was using with his branches in the rental car business. And I saw how powerful it could be. But the even more powerful thing was these words, back for more and bring their friends. Accounting does not measure that. Generally accepted accounting principles just gloss over it. They look at total revenue. What Andy is saying, you have to look customer by customer. Are they expanding? Are they repeat purchasing, expanding their purchases? And are they referring their friends? And because we don't measure those with accounting, which is the yardstick we all use, and you know, without intending it, entrepreneurs sort of take the mindset of accountants because they're using that measurement system from for their major decisions and paying people. And suddenly you have a worldview of accountants, which is how much money I can extract from a customer's wallet, as opposed to how can I treat them so well they come back for more and bring their friends. I love that. Let's hold that thought for a second. I really want to dig into that a bit later. But first, I want to set some more context. So I want to talk about the three main parts of NPS in terms of how you evaluate customers. So there's promoters, there's passives and detractors. Could you define that for us? Yeah, we found that just in our early research, when you ask customers on a scale from zero to 10, how likely to recommend us to a friend, when those who score you a nine or a 10, they tend to be the promoters who actually do refer you. They buy more stuff. They're, they're your assets. Sevens and eights, they got what they paid for. They're passively satisfied. You didn't enrich their life. They got what they paid for. That's sort of a you know quid pro quo, nothing magic there. And then zero through six, you've diminished their life. Something was wrong. They won't recommend you. They'll they'll actually tend to say bad things about you and feel like the instant there's an alternative, they'll jump on it and go to a competitor. So promoters, passive detractors became this simple categorization of success, foul tip, and failure. And when you keep track of that and and get to the root cause of why, it lets organizations start to measure the right thing. Are we treating people in a way that enriches their life? And what do we need to do differently to improve our results? Yeah. And what would you say the telltale signs of a promoter are? Oh, they put a smile on your face. A very successful entrepreneur, Truett Cathy, now deceased, but built Chick-fil-A into a powerhouse of a business. Same as Andy Taylor, by the way. They didn't need to go public to build this monster, I think they're the number two or three restaurant chain in, in North America, maybe more. So wildly successful economically. But, and Truett and I didn't have completely congruent points of view on some social issues and religious issues, but we were respectful, I think, of each other. And what I respected was he lived this notion of the golden rule, love thy neighbor as thyself. He, uh, Southern Baptists, I'm told, have a 
their life's mission often is captured in a biblical verse. And his was Proverbs 22, 11. A good name is worth more than silver or gold, essentially. And so your reputation is everything. And I think in his mind, he said, putting smiles on people's faces, making them happy is how you build a reputation, how you live up to the golden rule. And that was the formula that has created this monster success that continues to and it beat you to run against these great companies like McDonald's and Burger King. And, but Chick-fil-A just blasts through them, just the same way Enterprise Rent-A-Car blasted through Hertz and Avis and the others. There is a flywheel of once you get customers coming back for more and bringing their friends, that's the economic engine that drives prosperity, even though it's pretty much invisible to accountants except in the rearview mirror. Yeah, I totally agree. I have a social media agency, Yap Media, and we haven't gotten any funding. It's been bootstrapped. And it's all because of this flywheel effect of referrals. It's like my clients have a good experience. They tell their other like, you know, very successful friends. And it just helps us become the preeminent social media and podcast agency. Have you ever heard of uh, Jay Abraham? No, I don't think so. He is a very famous marketer. He's a former YAF guest. And he talks about this strategy of preeminence. And basically what it means is, if you treat your customers well, if you've got the best reputation in the industry, you are like the preeminent business. You're the number one, hands down, best choice, and you'll never have a problem getting customers. And he learned from one of his mentees, Tony Robbins, that you have to fall in love with your customers, not your products and your services. So I'd love for you to talk to us about loving your customers. You talk about loving your customers. It's a pretty rare word to use in business. So what are the ways that companies can love their customers and drive more promoters, more customer loyalty? Yeah, love was a radical word to use. And especially for a, a Bainey like me, it's, it's pretty much, you know, everybody's an MBA and uh, rational kind of people. Love is for home life. But no, I, I think if you step back and think carefully about what love means, it, it is your happiness is the, real, is the result of making your partners happy. So if you love someone, most of your happiness comes out of you creating happiness in them. And that kind of love, which is golden rule, love thy neighbor as thyself, or, or maybe out of religious term, outside that, you say, you want to treat people the way you'd want a loved one treated. That's what makes the world a better place. That love is at the core. Love breeds loyalty. When customers feel loved, they come back for more and bring their friends. That's what starts this economic flywheel. Love is hard to measure, but loyalty is pretty easy to measure if you're serious about it. Because in this, this digital age, you can watch how many of customers are repeating, how many are referring their friends. I mean, one of my recent investments is in a company that has a technology platform to help give and receive uh, referrals. And I think that's what the world needs to do is referrals are everything. It's, we, instead of doing it on a survey, how likely you to recommend, let's keep track of real referrals. Because that's where the economic value is, and that's where the reputation is. So to your point, mm -hmm. great businesses, I agree with Robbins and Abraham, it's just, that's where, that's the fusion right there that energizes success. And I think uh, rather than kidding around with surveys, let's keep track of referrals. Yeah, and to your point, love is so important. When you love someone, you're going to recommend the company that gave you that great service, that gave you that great experience. So it's not necessarily that they love your company. They love their friends and family so much that they're going to recommend your company. Absolutely. Yeah. People say they love their Apple computer. I think this is, but they also say they love their Dachshund. They love their uh, favorite ice cream. And the love that actually energizes, inspires is this notion of enriching the lives you touch and your happiness uh, deriving from that success. and. People who live that life live a pretty good life, even if they don't make a ton of money, that they have made a difference in the world and will die proud. The notion that love is also behind business success, I think, is the radical proposition that I make in Winning on Purpose. And the evidence is it's really overwhelming. People don't read books anymore much, but this one has the evidence that the company who has earned the love, the loyalty of their customers, using NPS as a good proxy for that, measuring it, the highest NPS company in every industry we've looked at has the highest total shareholder return over the decade. And that's been a huge moneymaker for me as an investor. But I think it's even more the companies and boards of directors, investors, they've got to see the facts here. 
This flywheel we talked about, it's the only flywheel that keeps spinning through time. Sustainable. Yeah, 100%. And to that point, COVID hit a black swan event. We had no idea what the economic impact would be. Nobody saw it coming. And these things can happen. They happen every several years. So talk to us about how customer loyalty and having a high NPS score can kind of mitigate these black swan events. Black swans have been going on for a long time. It feels like we have a flock of them landing in the last few years, but that's how the world works. And the companies who have the financial mindset that's very common today, running themselves in the financing, the accounting. And remember, accounting solves for profits. So very quickly, if you use uh, generally accepted accounting principles to run your business, which big companies almost have to, then you are teaching your people the purpose of your business is profits. And that's not a good purpose. That goes back to how much can we extract from our customers' wallets, as long as it's legal. That destroys energy. Good people don't commit themselves to that. Then if you can make loving your customers this idea of making their lives better and keep track of progress there and recognize and reward people for earning tens, real tens, not begging for tens, then I think you can manage your way to success. But I suppose the biggest challenge, almost every entrepreneur gets this intuitively, they can't succeed. They can't afford expensive advertising and crazy marketing promotions and big sales forces. They have to turn their customers into their sales force. But as they get bigger, most companies flip over to the dark side where accounting rules the day and the purpose becomes profits. Hold tight, everyone. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. What's up, Yap Bam? Being an entrepreneur and working remotely definitely has its perks. And I know a lot of you listening in are in the same boat as me. But do you really take advantage of being able to work from anywhere? I know I typically don't, but thankfully this past holiday, I finally decided to make use of my work flexibility for the first time ever. My boyfriend and I decided to pack up and leave to the West Coast to spend an entire month working from home in the sun. We got a super cute bungalow in Venice Beach with a fenced backyard. The change in scenery, the fresh air, and the slower pace to help me to inspire some really cool new ideas for my business. And honestly, I'm feeling really refreshed and ready to rock in 2024. And who helped me make these remote work dreams come true? It was Airbnb. And Airbnb has come in clutch for me time and time again. Whether it's finding the perfect Airbnb home for our three-day annual executive team get-together or booking a vacation where my extended family can fit all in one place, Airbnb always makes it a great experience. And you know me, I'm always thinking of my latest business venture and I've been begging my boyfriend to start hosting our place on Airbnb. And finally, we're gonna start. So many of my successful friends host on Airbnb and it's such an amazing way to generate passive income. So to start, we have a plan to start spending more time in Miami and we'll be hosting our place to earn some extra money when we're back on the East Coast. 2024 goals and I'll keep you updated. A lot of people don't realize that they might have an Airbnb right under their own noses. I was pretty surprised myself. You can Airbnb your place or spare room even if you're out of town for just a few days or weeks. You could do what I did and work remotely somewhere else and Airbnb your place to fund your trip. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host to find out how much your home is worth. Young and profiters, it's never been a better time to be an entrepreneur. With inspiration at our fingertips and powerful tools at our disposal, the possibilities are endless. And when it comes to tools that can truly make your business grow, there's one name that always stands out, Shopify. <laughs> Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the real store with the door stage, and even the did we just hit a million orders stage. And if you're in that I need to sell more with less stage, Shopify magic is your AI superpowered sidekick ready to whip up captivating content that converts from blog posts to product descriptions. Not to mention Shopify also is the home of the best converting checkouts in the game, 36% better than other leading commerce platforms. Shopify turns browsers into buyers. It's no wonder Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And you can sell whatever, whenever with Shopify. Push pleated pants with Shopify's in-person POS system or monetize mindful meditation. I sell my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass through Shopify and they've made my life a breeze. 
It took a couple days to set up my store and I just get to focus on what I do best, creating great content and marketing my product. So don't stress if you're new to this commerce thing. Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. And remember, whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting, and that's all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash profiting to start growing your business today. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting. I think we should do a rebranding of NPS and call it Net Love Score. What do you think about that? I even toyed with that in its early days. And that was a step too far for me. In fact, even using the word love in business, I thought was a stretch until, you mean, think about it as a customer. If you had an organization or a team who was always watching out for your best interests and innovating and striving to put a smile on your face and make your life better, of course you would go there all the, you give them all the business you had and you refer your friends. So it's feeling the love as a customer that inspires loyalty and starts the flywheel spinning. Okay, so my next question is how we can turn passives and detractors into promoters. What are the ways that you've seen work in the past? Probably the earliest successes in the net promoter movement were built around fixing detractors. And the early adopters, NPS is an open source system. I felt like bigger chance of changing the world, a better chance if we made it free, everyone can use it, experiment with it. And because of that, companies like Apple grabbed it, Lego, great, you know, IBMs, it, just thousands of companies experimented and helped it make, get better. And the mindset that clicked first was, gosh, when I see a detractor, I've, I've got a quality problem. I have a defect. So zero defections, qual- total quality management. Let's close the loop with that customer, get to the root cause, fix it. Do it at the right level of the organization. You know, don't do it at the headquarters. Do it at the branch or the product where this issue occurred. So the learning is is uh, in the right place in the organization. That was phase one. Where we are now is what innovations not only keep customers delighted but raise the game so they are nines or tens and they're referring ten friends, not just two. So it's innovation. And it yes, passives. When you talk to a passive and you say, what could we do better? They go, I don't know. You know, I'm happy. I got what I paid for. You have to be the innovator and get your promoters to give you interesting ideas and think about the companies that you buy from for whom you're a promoter and what they did that was so remarkable that turned you into a a referring engine and experiment. And the cool Mm -hmm. thing about NPS as a survey is you can run these experiments without putting it out for the whole population. You can see what works. Amazon's very good at this. They run experiments. If it doesn't work, kill it. If it creates a lot of tens and uh, repeat purchases, roll it out around the world. That innovation, I think, needs to be energized. Step one, go find out when people are referring you, what is it they're saying about you? Get a real clear sense of what is remarkable and then teach your organization that you can't rest on your laurels. Yeah, do more of that, but you have to come up with additional stuff. I mean, Amazon, great example. They did so many things right with the easy purchase and shopping cart and one click. But a few years ago, they, they said, oh, and when you want to return something, you don't have to put it back in its box and, and get the label. Just take the thing and bring it to the UPS store and we'll take care of all that stuff and credit your money right away. That kind of innovation is why they still have a crazy net promoter score high and why they continue to grow and prosper. People have legitimate issues, how they treat their people, all this waste and packaging. But at the core, Amazon's purpose is to make customers' lives better. And if their customers started saying, stop packing, you know, stop the cardboard wastage, they'd respond very quickly to it. Their customers now say, we want it in one day. And yeah, we don't like that packaging, but we want it in one day. Thank you. Yeah. Amazon's logo is a smile for a reason, right? Brilliant. Yes. Yeah. So I want to take a sidetrack really quick because you brought something up that I I meant to bring up in the beginning of the conversation, but we didn't talk about it. And that's the fact that you launched MPS as an open source software, which to me was just so interesting. And I think pretty innovative back then when you did it. So talk to us about why you decided to launch it as open source. For those who may not know, some of my listeners are on the younger side. What is an open source software? What are the pros and cons of, of launching something like that? 
Well, the classic open source uh, software would be a uh, Google's Android and Wikipedia, right? Wikipedia is a lovely example. These companies build themselves and let others innovate and build plat on top of them. And while there is a commercial model, there are people who package that software and make it easy to use and easy to understand. Red Hat is a classic example of a firm that has found out how to have a profitable commercial overlay. The core software itself, the core ideas, the IP, are there for everyone to share. Uh, and in the case of Net Promoter, you have to have a license if you're using Net Promoter in your business. So if you're a survey firm and you're calculating Net Promoter scores and using that, uh, you have to pay Bain a, a small license fee. But the license fee is so modest, it's not a moneymaker. It just makes it clear that when you say Net Promoter, when you ask it zero through 10, these things are constant and the brand gets protected. But for users who are just businesses that want to get feedback from their customer, it's free. You might want to hire somebody who has software to do that really in an elegant way. You might want to call people or send them a survey yourself. And I did it because at that point in my life, do you want to be a jillionaire or a quadruple jillionaire? That's sort of stupid. Do you want to have a major impact on the world? That's what seemed energizing to me. And I thought we would have a bigger impact if we let everyone try it for free. Yeah. And from my understanding, you've done a lot of investments based on NPS score and, and the companies that are doing it right. And we'll get into that later on in terms of the right and the wrong way, right? But the customers that are doing right, you tend to invest in those companies. Is there a way for other people to find out what companies have a true, high, accurate NPS score? If you're the target customer, you're the right age group and, and the right uh, socioeconomic segment. And if you and your friends are just going crazy and referring it, chances are it's a very high net promoter score. That's just a common sense way. I've had a little bit of an advantage because at Bain, as more and more of the organization at Bain has seen the power of net promoter and how difficult it is for individual companies to get net promoter scores that are comparable apples to apples. Because the instant you are the one asking for feedback, it biases which of your customers bother responding and what they say. So we've created Bain Prism. NPS Prism is a classic, monstrously large panel for, I guess, probably a dozen different industries now that gets really accurate, really comparable NPS scores for every brand in, in the industry. And with that advantage, I invest in the leader. And if you take the companies that had the highest NPS in my previous book, The Ultimate Question 2.0, I wrote with Rob Markey. I invested in those companies. My share, total shareholder returns over the decade after the book was published were higher than any mutual fund or ETF tracked by Morningstar, tracked, higher than the, the lion's share of private equity firms. And I had the liquidity and the low risk of just investing in public companies. The insight being I could shine a light on the flywheel of each competitor in an industry and see which one had the best flywheel spinning, customers coming back from war and bringing their friends. And that has been, you know, it's tens of millions of dollars for me personally. And it's available to everyone. But shockingly, there is not yet a big movement to get on accurate NPS scores. The world is still in such an accounting mindset that there's still just a tiny minority of investors who see the power here. That's why I was shocked because I was like, well, why isn't there some sort of like tracker that everybody knows about, like top NPS scores? And since there isn't, we've got like the godfather here. What are the top ones? What should we be investing in? What are you investing in? NPS Prism, the most recent industry that they added was the uh, grocery business. And the top score was a uh, regional grocer called HEB down in Texas, but it's private. On the other hand, even though if you can't invest, you know where you want to have your kids go work. And Chick-fil-A has the highest NPS. They're a private company. But I'd say then relatives who feel like entrepreneurs and want to be a store manager, and that's a wonderful career path. The Trader Joe's is uh, one of the top handful, but that too is owned by the next one in NPS is Aldi, private still. Then you get Costco. All of these are at superstar levels. Costco is a public company. It's so interesting that so many are private. It just goes to show that if you've got the flywheel effect, you don't need to take on investors. But keep going. Sorry for interrupting you. Yeah, so Costco is a public firm. 
I invested in Costco the instant I saw that they were uh, top in NPS because my personal experience has been so positive. I use them heavily as an example in, in Winning on Purpose, the, this last book. Their philosophy is customers come first, and they act in a way that makes it clear that they live their philosophy. There's a lot of stories about Costco that, that I really advise entrepreneurs to read. They're one of the larger companies in the world today, and their formula works in China. It works everywhere, every kind of town. They're just crushing it, and they make people's lives better. I, I'll give a, a comparison. I, I bought a uh, expensive Mercedes-Benz. Great, just lovely car, except on my first trip to the airport, I was a little late, I was rushing, it threw its windshield wiper. And so I'm driving, trying to look through the passenger window to get to the airport without having an accident. I was very frustrated. And then when I went to get it fixed, they said, it's my fault. I must have gone to one of those car washes that uh, dislodges the rubber blade. And I'm thinking, what? And I had to, not just one, I had to buy two because these windshield wipers come in packs of two. 200 bucks. It just, and Mercedes uses NPS. They think they do. They're begging for scores and pleading. And, you know, if you can't give us a 10, call us. Then I go Costco and I had a shaver, electric shaver, forget the brand, but it stopped working after uh, nine months. I said, that's not right. This was an expensive shaver. So I took it back to the Costco store, not even the one I bought it at. And I said, listen, it's not working. Can you do anything for me? They scanned my membership card and they said, your account's been credited. I said, wow, no questions about what went wrong. They said, no, customer like you, if you're not happy with it, it's, it's not right. And I thought, oh my gosh, there are quite a few billionaires that I know personally. And one of the early ones was Scott Cook, the founder of Intuit, who's TurboTax and QuickBooks and so forth. And his philosophy, he started at Bain about when I did, and then he left to found Intuit. He was the first adopter outside of Bain of Net Promoter. And he said, my philosophy is, we don't deserve a dollar of profit until our customer's happy. Think about what a high-minded philosophy that is. But it worked in software. That's why he's still got a successful software firm. 98% of the others' success stories back in his day, they're gone. Costco has the same philosophy. You're a good customer, and they have my track record as a customer. They know we buy a lot. You are unhappy with that product, then we don't deserve it, and the, and the manufacturer doesn't deserve any profit. What an amazing common sense way to run a business. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's so important to have customer loyalty. So I have a story to share. The biggest blip that I ever made with Yap Media, my social agency. So I have a business partner. He owns 10% and he's totally the numbers guy. He's all financial, super smart guy, very successful. I'm very much like the relationship person. Most of my clients are actually former guests that become my clients and then they become my mentors and my friends and everything like that. My business partner is very much about the numbers and we've been growing really fast and our rates keep getting higher and higher. And we have legacy clients that pay a lot less than our clients now. And so the biggest blip that I ever made in my company was when my executive team convinced me to reach out to all my legacy customers and try to raise the rates. And it messed up some of my relationships. We're fine now, but like it took a while to get it back on track. And it just goes to show that when you have legacy customers, these were, these were clients that were with me for a couple of years. They referred all their friends. They were like my number one advocates. And for a period of time, they were mad at me for trying to raise the rates on them, right? Because they felt like they were loyal. And so there is a problem with the way that people think in terms of like the accounting practices and just only looking at the numbers and the profits and not actually evaluating customer relationships. Because I sit in these finance meetings and I get so frustrated they're like, oh, like, you know, like if it's like some sort of like a negative forecast. And I'm like, but you guys don't know about all the conversations I'm having. And like, there's so much bubbling up that's just not calculated. So I'd love for you to talk about what needs to change in terms of accounting practices and how entrepreneurs can avoid making the mistake of not measuring their customer loyalty. It's an excellent question. And uh, I've wrestled with that for a long time. I see people misusing Net Promoter the way car dealers do, begging for scores. But with surveys, unless you have a big panel with double-blind research, you can't get honest, accurate, comparable scores. What do we measure that really gets to the heart of customer love? In Winning on Purpose, I introduce a new metric that I think it deserves to be the equal of net promoter. Maybe someday it's, it's slight superior. 
It's called earned growth. And it just, uh, it takes the, uh, the point of view that you have with every customer, you have to keep track of, are they buying more or less or defecting? And are they referring friends? And so your earned growth is your total growth the business generates in revenue that comes from existing customers being happy and buying more and the friends they refer. Great companies will have earned growth rates 130, 140%, 150%. So you think about their resting growth rate with no sales and marketing. They're just growing like crazy. I think for entrepreneurs and for, or, and for the serious numbers people, force them to start measuring your earned growth rate and your earned growth component for every customer. And you'll start focusing on the right things. Instead of aggregates like total revenue, which can lead you down the wrong path, if your customer is not buying more, you know, coming back for more and bringing their friends, there's something wrong that needs uh, attention. But if they are growing 150% a year, don't screw up the decision-making by kowtowing to the, to the accounting mindset. Now, of course, you have to have cash flow to keep the business healthy. And so finance, finance is vital, but it's not the purpose. And in too many businesses, finance, because we can measure it more rigorously and report it, and the, the regulatory system sort of gives it an edge, we give it way too much uh, power in our thought process. 100%. And I would argue like that little blip, that story that I was telling you about when I went to go raise the rates with my customer, we were trying to raise the rates so minimally, 20%. And I, I always tell my partners now, like, look, we did that and we lost so many referrals, we could have grown, you know, what we're doing amazing. So don't get the wrong picture. But like, we could have grown even faster had we not lost all those referrals for that point in time while my customers were upset with me. So it's just such a cool tool. What's the actual formula behind earned growth rate? There's two components to earned growth. The, the first one is the, the back for more, which encapsulates both retention, because if somebody diminishes their business or defects, that nets out against it and customers that expand their purchases and netting those things, there is a, an existing accounting metric called net revenue retention. That's mm -hmm. the biggest component for most companies. And then you add the revenue from customers who came primarily as a result of referrals from existing customers. That set of revenue, that's earned growth. And if you are well above 100%, that means you're, you've got the flywheel spinning in the right direction. So if I've never done any paid ads, no marketing and everything is referral, then that means I have a high earned growth rate? Yeah, well, the great companies, if they take, just take the new customers and you ask them, what's the primary reason you came? The very best customer companies I've found have 70, 80, even 90% of their new customers are coming on referral primarily. That doesn't mean they don't advertise at all. You know, there's a lot of reinforcing publicity and advertising, but the, you ask your customer, what's the primary reason you came aboard? If they say referral from a friend, or if you have a tech platform that actually it's clear our friend referred them and, and uh, keeps track of it. Those are the best kind of business you can possibly have. Those are the assets the accountants don't measure today. They send you down the wrong path because of that. 100%. I feel like this is so educational and interesting and helpful for all the entrepreneurs that are out there. Let's hold that thought and take a quick break with our sponsors. I want to talk to all you employers out there and let's talk about company culture. At Yap Media, we have a super unique company culture. We are all obsessed with excellence and we even call ourselves this really cute name, Scrappy Hustlers. We're all Scrappy Hustlers at Yap Media. And my team is growing fast and hiring is a pain in the butt, especially if you're looking for A players that are gonna roll up their sleeves. But luckily, when it comes to hiring, I no longer feel overwhelmed by the search for the perfect candidate because I use Indeed, the ultimate hiring platform. Indeed's matching engine always presents me with a pool of high-quality candidates that match my job description to a T. If you're tired of drowning in your hiring pool, Indeed is here to rescue you. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging your candidates, making the entire hiring process a breeze. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. I've hired some of my best employees at Indeed, some of my best scrappy hustlers. With over 140 million qualifications and preferences analyzed every day, Indeed is constantly learning from your hiring preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets at actually hiring your perfect match. Join the ranks of more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that have already chosen Indeed to hire great talent. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash profiting. Just go to indeed.com slash profiting right now to support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash profiting. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Young and profiters, I've got a fun fact for you. Did you know that by 2030, over 85% of the jobs that will exist haven't even been invented yet? And that's why we need to acquire new skills and stay relevant and adaptable. By embracing lifelong learning, we can future-proof our careers and our businesses. That's why you've got to check out Economist Education. Economist Education provides online executive education courses tailor-made for professionals just like us, crafted by The Economist's own editors and special experts. Economist Education courses are designed to sharpen your professional skills in key areas like data storytelling, critical thinking, sustainability, and so much more. I highly recommend checking out the Economist Education course, Business Writing and Storytelling. It's packed with valuable practical advice on how to inform and persuade through writing reports, social media, presentations, and beyond. The best part, these courses are online, flexible, and self-paced, lasting anywhere from two to six weeks. You're guided by expert tutors. You'll dive into a mix of videos, podcasts, texts, quizzes, and weekly assignments. Plus, you'll get a three-month digital subscription to The Economist to support your learning journey. Economist Education provides access to online forums where you can network with peers around the globe. In a world where knowledge is power, Economist Education empowers you to lead the way. Economist Education is an incredible way to stay ahead in business. And I've got a special offer to get you started. Get 15% off any course only available by going to my special URL, education.economist.com profiting, and then enter the promo code profiting at registration. This offer ends on March 31st, so don't wait. For 15% off, go now to education.economist.com slash profiting and use code profiting. Again, this ends on March 31st. If you want 15% off, you've got to go to education.economist.com slash profiting and use promo code profiting at registration. Young and profiters, I actually have a nasty habit of ordering way too many groceries. I'm embarrassed to say it, but I've wasted so much food in the past and I felt really guilty about it, but now my conscience is clear with HelloFresh. Each week, I get ingredients shipped to me with step-by-step recipes. I get fresh, pre-measured ingredients that get me whipping up delicious dinners in no time. And then I reduce waste because you get exactly what you need and nothing else. I love trying new foods and HelloFresh has over 45 recipes and more than 100 seasonal add-ons to choose from every single week. It's so much fun to pick out my meals. It's easier than ever to find something that everybody in your family will enjoy. I personally like to stick with the basics when it comes to HelloFresh. I get their meat and veggies plan. I love the options they have for that. And trust me, it's cheaper than takeout and with pre-proportioned ingredients, you'll never waste money on excess food. And now Green Chef is owned by HelloFresh which gives me an even wider variety of meals to choose from. There's something for everyone. I love switching between the brands and you can enjoy both brands at a discount with me now. Skip the grocery store and save time with easy, tasty recipes delivered to your door. Go to hellofresh.com slash profitingfree and use code profitingfree for free breakfast for life. That's one breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at hellofresh.com slash profitingfree with code profiting free. So a question for you, something like a podcast, right? Nowadays, podcasts can be a lead generation tool for, for people. Similarly, like having like a webinar where you invite potential clients. Would you consider that being referral based business or would you consider that being more of like paid promotion? It's on the edge. If you're educating people about what you stand for and what your philosophy is, it's a way of communicating the truth to them. It's not quite as good as an existing customer who really knows you and isn't, it's not what you say about you, it's what their experience has been and what they say about you. That's the highest form of uh, positive marketing. But I think this, what you're describing with podcasts and building community, it's the next best thing. Yeah, I agree. I feel like it's like slightly right under is like having like, a social media platform where you're known as a thought leader and you're giving away free advice or a podcast where you're building trust with someone. It's not quite paid promotion. It's, it's sort of like the gray area, right? If you could get really honest reviews on these sites and curate it a little bit so it's the customers that you care about, but it's even Amazon 
who is so strong, it's sloppy. When you go in there, you, the star ratings, they don't make much difference because that what half of those are paid in some way or cheating. So yeah, you, you can read the verbatims and sort of figure out who thinks like me and, and you can get benefit. But if people really cared about review sites, they could be so much better than they are today. And a, a really smart, uh, somebody who runs one of the biggest retailers in the world said, Fred, when we, we don't get the best insights from our, our NPS surveys, they're good. It's, they know they're talking to us. So there's social barriers about telling the truth and not hurting our feelings, or maybe they're negotiating with us, you know, but it's a lot of biases there. The way we get to the truth is to listen to our customers talking to other customers or people they're referring on Facebook groups or in some third-party platform. So the real truth is listening in on what people are saying about you in a way that's not creepy and, and inappropriate. But if you can have an honest way of listening to that, boy, you can learn a lot. Let's move on to your latest book, Winning on Purpose. You ended up writing it after you got diagnosed with cancer. So I'd love to understand why you were inspired to write this book. And we've covered a few topics that are in it, but tell us about what people can find in this book. Yeah, when you don't know how many uh, months you've got to live, and when that when I got the diagnosis, it was one of those, you'll probably make it, Fred, but there's a 20 or 30% chance you won't be around in a, another few, you know, year or two. And so you think, what do I need to get accomplished while I'm... And for me, there were so many people misusing Net Promoter. Two-thirds more, two, at least two-thirds of the world's large companies use Net Promoter or say they do, but they're using it the wrong way. They don't understand this philosophy. It's just it's a KPI like a handful of others. And I had to get across this idea that no, no, it's it's much, it's a whole philosophy. It's go back to the the days of the world thought of uh, the, it was an earth-centered solar system, and you had all these crazy theories about the sun rotating around the earth. And then Copernicus and a handful of others said, no, it, it's the sun is the center and proved it. I believe the customer is the center of the of the of the solar system. Most people don't agree with that yet. And so Winning on Purpose said, no, the, the winning purpose, the only winning purpose is to commit your organization to making your customers' lives better and loving customers. So only 10% of businesses, big businesses, believe that today. So it's a radical proposition. But Copernicus was a radical proposition. He was right. I think I'm right. But well, time will tell. Will most business people come over to this point of view that customers you know, it's not just all, all stakeholders. It's not maximize shareholder value. The, the purpose of the business is to make my customers' lives better. And if I do that, then I can make my employees happy because they have a life of meaning and purpose. And, and they're part of the flywheel that generates superior economics. And of course, our investors are better off because of that. But man, c- customers have to come first. And whether it's Apple or Costco or Lego or Bain & Company, every great business I know has customer front and center and systems to reinforce that because you know you're fighting against the current of financial accounting, which which points you in a different direction. I want to go deep on one aspect of this because I feel like a lot of people are under the mindset that employees is where it starts, right? Employees are the priority. Happy employees equals happy customers. We hear this all the time. Why do you feel like it starts, like the purpose of business is to enrich the lives of the customer and not necessarily that it starts first with employees. There's a lot of things that make employees happy that make customers very unhappy. I don't want to work long hours. I don't want to take on the tough count. If I see a grumpy customer coming in the store, I'll go to the bathroom and let somebody else take care of it. And if you don't have your employees inspired to find ways to delight customers and make their life better, not only will it be financially unsuccessful, but you're putting them in a position of being selfish and Great leaders show the power of love. So the leader's primary responsibility isn't to make the customers happy. It's to inspire their teams to take on that mission, embrace that mission of loving customers and help them succeed. And when they do, make sure they get the appropriate recognition and rewards. Don't create a compensation system that makes salesmen rich for overpromising and selling a lot of new business that never turns into customer promoters who come back from more and bring their friends and therefore never become a true asset to the business. See, you got to really rethink compensation, hiring, promotion at Bain. You can't, it's very hard to get promoted at Bain unless your team thinks you live the, the values of the company and make our clients succeed. 
Um, we have built systems that reinforce that. And if you just look at you know, Bain is always on the top, you know, whether you pick Glassdoor, Fortune, you know, pick your list, Bain has been at the top. Why? Because all of the reinforcing systems of who we hire, how we train, how we run huddles on a weekly basis, how, how you get promoted, it has customer value first. And I think no leader is doing their, their employees a favor if they don't help them understand that their happiness, their employees' happiness is based on making a meaningful contribution that the team values and making customers' uh, lives better. Yeah. Well, Fred, this was such an awesome conversation to kind of round this out. And I have a couple last questions that I ask at the end that I ask all my guests. But to round out this portion of the conversation, you know, you've been doing NPS for 20 years. You've had the privilege of studying so many really well-known businesses. What are the top business lessons that you've learned in your career? Well, the, the, at the end of the book, it, I sort of pull back the curtain and make it clear that this is actually a life advice that I'm trying to give to my grandchildren who are, who are too young to read the book at this point. But if you believe this mindset and you want to make the world a better place, it's really hard to do that on your own. You have to team up with others who have similar values, principles, and team up and find a way to help them succeed in living that mission and making it the truth and making it the common practice. So choose the people you hang with really carefully. Don't just hire them because they'll make you money. Make sure these are people who are going to be meaningful, contributing to teams who are committed to, to enriching customer lives and who feel like this golden rule idea of love thy neighbor is the center of a well-lived life and purpose. Those loyalties, they just define your legacy and they certainly shape your, your life. Be thoughtful and be loyal. <laughs> when you found that, you know, well, I'm at Bain 50, well, not quite 50 years, but it's a group that I feel is helping make the world better. And there's nothing better you can do with your life than being connected to that, those kinds of uh, teams and those organizations. And don't take crappy profit-based purpose as a customer, as an investor. You know, there's so much talk about environmental investing and, you know, I, I, pollution has to stop. But seriously, the worst kind of pollution are people mistreating each other and abusing each other in the name of profits. I completely agree. So I asked some questions at the end of each episode that, and we do some fun stuff at the end of the year with them. So the first question is, what is one actionable thing that our young and profiters can do today to be more profiting tomorrow? Get a sample of your new customers and ask them why they came on board. And for those that said it's a referral, find out who referred them what it was about what they said that make that referral so impactful. And then go talk to the person who referred and understand what made them so confident in you that they would co-brand their reputation. Get a, get a root cause set of conversations there. I think that's the most important thing to do. And then make sure your teams feel the responsibility to be remarkable, that they their job isn't just to get somebody off the phone on time or to make them sort of happy enough to not be a problem. The job is to do something remarkable that they're going to talk about with their friends. And that's a high standard, but then your people have to help put pressure back on you to let you know what, what they need in terms of systems and resources and support training tools. That, once you get your employees feeling like our job is to enrich the lives we touch and we measure our success that way, wonderful things can happen. I am going to make this mandatory listening for all of my 60 employees and my executive team uh, so that they know what our priorities here are at YAP. This book, rather than just listening to the podcast, see if you can use the podcast to get them to read. And one of the companies that I am on the board of, invested in, who feel lives this philosophy, it's called Built, B-I-L-T. Built gives the book to every prospective employee and asks them to read it. And before they will hire them, they want to make sure that they understand and embrace the ideas in it. Because you want new employees who think this way, and you want your existing employees have a discussion group around each chapter and think, are we doing this? What do we need to change? What are we doing that's spot on and we need to do more of? But don't make it a book report that's over in a month. Take a chapter a month and make it a conversation that continues. And at Built, they start next year. 
and go through each chapter. And I think Built is a wonderful example for, for you entrepreneurs. That it's a great idea. It's going to change the world. Getting rid of paper instructions and, and putting in it free TCAD uh, designs. But it's not the technology that is special. It's the philosophy behind it of helping their customers and their clients have happier customers. I love that advice. I think I'm going to take it. So what is your secret to profiting in life? Have grandchildren and have them visit a lot. (laughs) Oh, that's cute. And where can our listeners go to learn more about you and everything that you do? Net Promoter System is a website that has a lot of tools and resources. And just search on Winning on Purpose and you'll start seeing the things that we're developing. Because I still do have this open source philosophy that I want more people to understand this purpose and to put it in practice. And today it's still a radical philosophy. So go to those two sites or and LinkedIn. Uh, there's a newsletter I do on LinkedIn called Customer Obsession that uh, I think is a pretty good dose. I'd like to see teams talking about that one each month to see what, uh, what lessons there are for them. Awesome. Well, I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. I'll make sure I follow you on there. We're going to stick all your links in the show notes, your book, all your social sites, your websites. Thank you so much, Fred. This was an awesome conversation. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Oh boy, I need to be sending this episode to every single entrepreneur and entrepreneur that I know because your customers are really the heart of your business, no matter your industry. If they stop coming to you, you cease to exist. Like Fred said, one of the reasons why a lot of business owners fail is because they view their customers not as people, but as potential profits. They adopt an accountant's mindset of money, money, money. And that couldn't be farther from the truth when it comes to having a successful business. All the best companies out there are crushing their competition because they care most about putting a smile on their customers' faces. And let's talk a little bit about the importance of loyalty before we close. First, a definition. Loyalty is the willingness of someone, whether that's a customer, an employee, or a friend, to make an investment or personal sacrifice in order to strengthen a relationship. So loyalty doesn't just mean buying over and over again. It means actually making a personal sacrifice in order to strengthen the relationship with the brand. So for a customer, that could mean something like sticking with a vendor who treats them really good and gives them good value over the long run, even if that vendor doesn't actually offer the best price in the market. So they could get it for cheaper, maybe even faster, but they're going to go with you because they value the relationship and they see the long-term potential. Therefore, it's a sacrifice to stay with you and it's proving customer loyalty. Again, customer loyalty is much more than just repeat purchases because somebody who buys again and again from the same brand may not necessarily be loyal to that brand. It may be just inertia, right? Why they're not changing their brand. They may just be used to it. They may be indifferent or that brand is simply the most convenient for the time being. So for example, let's say you regularly take the same airline to a city, but only because it's the airline that offers the most flights to that city. So it's the most convenient, not necessarily your favorite airline. True loyalty impacts profitability greatly. And we are young and profiting here at Yap. So we care about profitability. Having loyal customers lowers your customer acquisition costs. It drives top line growth. And you can't scale very fast if your customer bucket is leaky. Loyalty helps close those leaks. It helps eliminate that outflow. In fact, loyal customers can raise the water level in your proverbial bucket. Customers who are truly loyal tend to buy more over time. And most importantly, they tell their friends. And these referrals and recommendations are one of the best indicators of loyalty because it actually shows customer sacrifice in making that referral. Because when a customer acts as a reference, they actually are putting their own reputations out on the line. And so they're going to risk their reputations only if they feel intense loyalty. Loyal customers are like having a free marketing department. Figuring out a way to accurately measure customer loyalty and satisfaction is extremely important. The MPS score can help companies big and small do this. It is a very, very popular tool that most Fortune 500 companies are using. And also a lot of small companies are using it too. And it's just... A couple of questions. The most important question being, how likely is it that you would recommend company X to a friend or a colleague, right? Because recommendations is what shows and proves customer loyalty. 
And like we said in this interview, this market research metric, NPS, may as well be called net love score. And yeah, fam, you want to infuse this feeling of love for your customer into your company culture. Every employee should know that they are there to enrich the lives of your customers by tending to them with kindness, respect, and enthusiasm. And using this golden rule should be the minimum when interacting with a customer. Treat people the way that you want to be treated. Put the customer in the center of every decision. Always put yourself in their shoes and anticipate how you can enrich their lives to help grow their businesses. That is how you build a loyal customer base, young and profiters. And according to Bain and Company's research, just 10% of corporate leaders believe that their firm's primary purpose is customer happiness and success. So chances are you out there need to be better prioritizing your customers. And if you can't tell you're doing a good enough job, don't forget to ask feedback. Use something like an NPS survey and start tracking your referrals. I mean, I certainly am at Yap Media. We're going to start tracking an earned growth rate in our reporting. Referrals are super important and understanding who your biggest advocates are can help you make better decisions in the long run, better gauge the true health of your business and not just look at everything from a black and white numbers perspective. And guys, I'm going to leave all the resources for NPS in the show notes. I've linked it all there for you, for you to flip around and see how you can leverage it for your business, whether you're an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur, I think you'll find it valuable. Thanks so much for tuning in to another incredible episode of Young and Profiting Podcast. If you haven't yet, make sure you follow me on social. I'm on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Yap, Y-A-P with Hala, H-A-L-A, you guys can also find me on LinkedIn. You can search for my name. It's Hala Taha. You can't really miss me on there. And thank you so much to my amazing Yap team. I couldn't do this without you guys. Thanks so much for all your hard work. I really appreciate it day in and day out. This is your host, Hala Taha, signing off.